Romans 9, 1-5, NIV. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Christianity and Judaism are both branches of the same tree. Now let me spend the next 20 or so minutes explaining why that is not a heretical thing to say, as well as why that fact, together with today's passage, will help you become a better reader of your Bible and a better Christian and person as a result. The roots of both Judaism and Christianity are pretty old, as you probably could guess. How old? Well, other than the late Bronze Age, it isn't really possible to know for sure, but in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we read that it began with the men who we have come to call the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by the time we arrive at their stories, sin has long since entered the world. And because of that, we read that God is looking to address this problem. And it was through these patriarchs and their descendants where we see God's plan to address the scourge of sin begin. And this beginning takes the form of a covenant, a pact made between God and the patriarchs. They and theirs would be God's people, and God would never leave them for all of time. And also on top of that, to sweeten the pot, we are told that it would be through these descendants that God would also make himself known to the world, healing its ills once and for all. These descendants of the patriarchs over millennia came to be known as the Israelites, the Hebrews, the chosen people, the Jews. Fast forward several generations and we meet Moses, probably either the second or third most important character in your Bible behind Jesus himself, and worthy of that same level of attention because of it. Moses was many things over the course of his life. A prince, shepherd, fugitive, leader, priest, but the reason he is as important as he is comes because of one more thing that he is, a prophet, someone who God talked to in order to lead his people. And it just so happened that during these conversations with God, God gave a very important list of instructions to Moses for how his people should live, something that in time would come to be known as the law of Moses. To follow God, to be his chosen people, it meant you observed this law. You conducted your life in this way. And according to the law of Moses is how the chosen people tried to live for many hundreds of years. Often it went well, but also often it didn't. And after many generations of these ups and downs, things ended for the Israelites on such a bad note that the only way to set things right and get the chosen people back on track was essentially for God to intervene by letting a foreign power sweep in and separate the Israelite people from one another. 
the book of Isaiah is essentially about this. And it is surrounding this time of great upheaval, both before, during, and after this invasion and the captivity it brought, that the prophets of the chosen people began in earnest to talk both about what it means to be an Israelite, uh, as well as they started to talk about a coming savior, a Messiah who would set the world to right for the Israelite people. Think the passages you hear from the Old Testament read every Christmas for some examples of these. Uh, Eventually, many of the Israelites were allowed to return home from captivity, though, and not long after that, we reached the end of the Old Testament. And while modern Judaism in most of its forms usually has a couple more books than we Protestants typically have in our Old Testament scripture, books that both of our groups have historically understood to be of value to our faith, but not necessarily divinely inspired. For the most part, this would also be the end of the scriptures, of their scriptures entirely. And for both of us, as these books come to an end, uh, we are left waiting for the same thing, for God to set the world right through his chosen people Israel, the people who live by the law. And... From the end of the Old Testament, the story goes silent for us Christians for a couple hundred years. Although silent is a very relative term, because in these centuries of scriptural silence, a lot happens to the Jewish peoples that would later go on to define both Christianity as well as modern Judaism. First, they are violently conquered by Alexander the Great, to which they rise up in rebellion. If you've ever heard of the Maccabees, that's what that is talking about. And then just when things were beginning to settle down, Israel is conquered out of left field by the Romans, to which the people find themselves at least partially embroiled in two Roman civil wars. The first between Julius Caesar and Pompey, and the second several decades later between Octavian and Mark Antony the winner of which, Octavian, actually went on to become the first Roman emperor. And even though at this point their scriptures aren't being added to, uh, this crazy amount of turmoil caused a lot of change in how the chosen people thought of themselves and their faith. So much so that by the time of the Christian New Testament and when it started, the Israelites had split into a number of groups, all of who believed that they had the proper Jewish understanding of how things should be. First, there were the Sadducees. This group included the chief priests of Jerusalem, as well as a number of others from the ruling class. They essentially believed that Judaism should continue on with the status quo, and they were very concerned about preventing a war with Rome. Next, there were the Hellenists. These were the Israelites abroad in the empire, largely in Alexandria and Greece, but also in Rome as well. They were Greek-speaking, heavily influenced by Greek history and philosophy, and uh, they were very concerned that others understood them to be Jewish. Uh, The groups in Jerusalem, though, often looked down on these guys for much the same reason that people from the old country often seem to look down on their kin who have lived in North America for generations. People who are the same but different, that isn't an identity that humans have historically been all that comfortable feeling with. 
Next, there were the Zealots. Uh, they read the scriptures largely focusing on the apocalyptic parts uh, about the end of all things. Uh, to them, it was Jewish destiny to rise up and overthrow Rome, and with that, bring about all the salvation that we leave the Old Testament waiting for. And then there were the Essenes, who were like the monks of the first century Jewish uh, landscape. They viewed the Sadducees as corrupt, so they largely just retreated to the wilderness and did their own thing, which included copying books. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls almost certainly being their handiwork, if you've ever heard of those. And of all of the groups, the most important were the Pharisees. They, like the others, held that Judaism was primarily defined by the Law of Moses. Uh, but where they differed was in that in everything they did, they tried their best to follow that law, which ended up in an extremely pious and extremely dedicated group of members who earned a lot of respect from the other groups of the time, even if they did butt heads often. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he converted. But this was the Mayu that Jesus was born into when the New Testament begins and the Christian scriptures start again. And because through Jesus's birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension, we learn that Jesus was God-born human, uh, the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, the descendant of the patriarchs who all of Israel was waiting for, who through the chosen people would set the world to right, because that is who Jesus revealed himself to be, then of course this was also the Mayu that the, the apostles immediately began preaching to when they started their ministry up as well. Because obviously it was. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament we read in the Gospels time and time again. He even says that himself. So without anyone thinking twice about it, it the movement that followed Jesus after his ascension was grouped with all the other movements that involved the Jewish people that primarily centered around the Hebrew Holy Scriptures. Christianity was from its beginning another branch of the same Jewish tree that Judaism would in time find itself on as well. It was, after all, about a Jewish God who became a Jewish man in fulfillment to Jewish scriptures and prophecies. It was always only going to be another branch of Jewish belief. From its inception, with Jesus and then with the apostles, Christianity has never been its own thing, but instead can only be understood as a branch of Jewish belief. It makes no sense, and what is even more, it's heretical to try to take Christianity away from that base. It is heretical because if you try to remove its Jewish heritage and with it the Old Testament, Jesus, as I mentioned before, who time after time claims to come in fulfillment of Jewish scripture, becomes divorced from what causes his claims to have any punch in the first place. And if that happens, our faith loses itself as well. This is one of the heresies that the early church had to deal with, and it condemned it all the way back then as well. Now, of course, what we came in time to understand of Judaism and Christianity did eventually schism from one another and head off in their own directions. A number of things led to that happening. 
Over the decades following Christ's death, the relationship between the Christians and the rest of the branches of Israel increasingly became more strained and then deteriorated into straight-out persecution of the Jewish Jesus followers, as well as Christianity caught on more with us Gentiles than with the Jews. So its composition very quickly began to skew non-Jewish, which caused people to wonder if the Christians still belonged under the umbrella of the chosen people. But the straw that ultimately broke the camel's back and split our two groups irreparably came actually from us Christians. And it happened around AD 70, when the Zealots finally had their way and they started the war with Rome. Rome sent in the troops, and just before Jerusalem was sieged, the Christians still living there somehow got wind of what was going to happen and got out of Dodge, thus avoiding the whole war. And when the dust settled, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes were essentially all wiped out, and the Pharisees were exiled by the Romans to the corners of the empire, and quickly, by numbers alone, they overtook their Hellenistic cousins. And in time, they were who formed most of what we would come to think of as Judaism today. And as to why this caused a schism between Christianity and Judaism— It's because the Pharisees hated the Christians. They viewed the fact that the church skipped town before the Romans arrived as an ultimate betrayal, worthy of a full-on separation, something that I'm sure many in the church today would probably agree. And so, from that point on, Christianity and Judaism were considered by all to be separate, even though, as I said before, to understand Christianity properly, you have to understand it as being another branch of the same tree. We believe on our branch lies salvation in Christ for sure, but it is the same tree all the same. And it is there where we can stop this very quick summary of a lot of history and theology, millennia worth actually, and finally come to Paul in our passage today in order to find out how we can become better readers of scripture as a result. For while for most passages in the Bible, you don't really need to have a truly in-depth historical understanding to get what is being said, For this block of scripture from the Apostle Paul, you kind of do in order to not mistake what Paul is saying for something much worse when he applies in verse 3 that all Jewish people are under a curse. Thankfully for all of us, as long as you have read your Bibles to get to this point, more or less all that I have said, less some stuff about the Essenes as well as the ultimate schism that isn't going to come for a bit, Uh, certainly everything that you need to know in order to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here would be available to you from a pretty surface reading up until this point. But you need to know all of this stuff to understand this passage correctly, because no matter how you slice it, Romans 9, 1 to 5, our passage today and continuing all the way to the end of chapter 10, what you are reading in these verses are the words of one Jewish man talking to his fellow Jewish people who are all understood to be on branches of the same big trees that are tantalizingly within reach, but are never seeming to intertwine. 
What you were reading in this passage would be like if you were born and raised culturally and religiously a Mennonite, to which you switched to become an Anglican, and after years of effort, maybe one or two at most of your fellow cultural Mennonites followed you over. Paul is talking to his people about joining him in his faith that is very much so understood to be, while different and maybe even a little scary, also still completely in line with the faith that he was raised in. Paul is an insider here talking to his people about something that they would consider not at all completely out of left field. It would be frowned on, sure, but it wouldn't be foreign to them. What this passage absolutely is not, though, is a Christian fully separate from the Jewish people he is addressing, remarking rhetorically about how all Jews are cursed because they won't abandon everything they know to follow Jesus. And we know that isn't what is happening here because the schism between Christianity and Judaism, as I mentioned, doesn't actually happen for about another decade after Paul writes this. And this distinction is important to keep in mind here when you read this passage as well as the rest of Romans 9 and 10 because the meaning of what is being said here is very different if you are an insider commenting on your own people as compared to if you are an outsider commenting on a group of people different than your own. If I, as a Mennonite Dirksen, say to you, other cultural Mennonites out there, our people are cursed, look at our history, wherever we settle we find persecution, that will be understood inherently different by you than if someone from outside looking in says the exact same thing. It is different because if I say this to and about my own people, then it is not so much that I am stating a fact as much as this is me reflecting on my own anguish for the plight of my people. And you don't need to read very far into verse 2 of this passage to catch that this is very much so what Paul is doing here through and through. But on the flip side, if someone else, not culturally Mennonite, says these same words that the Mennonites are cursed and our history proves it, then that says something very different. Almost certainly, in those words, they are either giving what they think to be a description of Mennonites, or worse, they are simply stereotyping. And more often than not, if history has anything to say about it, when either of those things happens, Often it ends as a justification to let terrible things happen to other people unchecked. After all, what could you do? They were cursed. And before you think that I'm dumbing this down, oversimplifying things, or blowing things out of proportion, I want you to know this. This very passage along with the others in the Bible that say stuff along the lines of the Jewish people are cursed. Again, all of those are in the same context as this one, where one Jewish person on one branch of the Israelite tree is saying it to another Jewish person on another branch of the same tree. But those verses 
have all been used over the years to either turn a blind eye to, or worse, to actively participate in the persecution of the Jewish peoples throughout the history of the church, up to, and sadly enough, also including, justifying the Holocaust itself. Understanding these distinctions in the Bible of who is talking to whom and their relationship to each other and how that impacts what is being said to us. It is one of the keys to being a better reader of Scripture, and as such, it is something that is always important to keep an eye out for. The distinction between an insider talking about their own people and an outsider pronouncing something to be so is important to be able to recognize because keeping an eye out for that will help us better understand Jesus and Paul's teachings and as such it will also help us be better Christians in turn. Christians who know when the Bible is talking to us and when it is not and who will be able to act accordingly in turn. As we have seen, learning to read our Bibles well is important, and it really has some historically verifiable impacts on our ability to live as Christians and to live as the church. Thankfully, to be able to do that and to learn how to do that is actually simple enough. You just have to read the Bible enough to learn how to. You need to talk to other Christians enough to learn what to look out for. You need to pay attention to exactly these kinds of things. But thankfully, with God's help and with the help of the church, it can be done.